Abundance of love, abundance of grace, down to that cross, you took my place, oh God, you take my ransom, your love, you give my abundant life. Abundant Life, Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people, now. Here's Pastor Scott. Large crowd followed behind. Two blind men were sitting beside the road. When they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they began shouting, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Be quiet, the crowd yelled at them. But they only shouted louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. When Jesus heard them, He stopped and called, what do you want me to do for you? In verse 33, the Bible says, Lord, we want to see. Jesus felt compassion for them and touched their eyes. Instantly, they could see. Then they followed him. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, What do you want me to do for you? And the me is not this me. The me is that me. Pray with me. God, thank you for even asking this question ever in your lifetime. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us this place to gather in your name to worship you and and, and to be taught by your spirit, God. And I pray now that you'd anoint me, say things that would honor you, teach us from your word by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This question that Jesus has asked consistently uh, has been in my mind a lot. What do you want me to do for you? I've asked you many times, if the Lord came through right now and and went row by row and started with Miss Irene and worked all the way back around to Terry, well, I was noticing something about Terry this morning. Terry was coming back from putting in the uh, the signs out front. Uh, Where's your dad brother got to walk, don't he? I thought, look at the walk. On this well-dressed man, right? I thought, I bet that's how he got Cheryl. She saw that that swagger in that walk. But if but if we started up front, went all the way around to the back. If Jesus was here and he just came and said, "Tell me exactly right now, because I'm busy. What do you want me to do?" One of the things I love the most about meeting with the the deacons and the elders before we come in is. Uh, the, the, the fact that every now and then, somebody will know. See, I know right now, the only person I know for sure right now what they would answer is me, because I'm asking God all the time, and Sonia, because she gave us a prayer request for tomorrow. Uh, and so, well, today, tomorrow, and moving forward. Uh, but if he asked you, would you even have an answer? If you have to say, well, I need to think about it then you haven't been asking him for what you should be asking for what you need already. One of the things that I've told the men consistently and man up over the years is we will pray for you as a group, as individuals, but don't be so lazy that you come in here asking us to pray for you about something you're not even praying about. How many of y'all know people do that all the time? They, they ask people that they think are praying to pray for their situation when they're not even praying about it themselves. And if Jesus asked this question to two blind men, when their need was so obvious, that Jesus had been going around healing people already. Jesus had been going around healing blind folk. They, they, uh, and and he, he obviously knew what they wanted because he's God and he knows everything. Um, he can read the thoughts in your mind. He can hear the, 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 the thoughts in your mind. He knew what they wanted, but he wants you to tell him. And I wonder, have you been telling him? I wonder, does he know what that thing is that you want for him to do? Now, if someone came into the church and, and, and they were giving me, because I, I get these people, they drift through and, and they, they, they want something, and, you know, if we give it to them, they come back maybe for a week. Uh, if we don't, we never see them again. Um, but it's obvious from, from the beginning what people want when they come 
to see me. Uh, they, they, by the way, they start out. And I'm just a human being. Jesus knows exactly what you want from him. And I came to tell you today, most people don't want enough. Most people don't want enough. They don't want enough to even be asking. Now, if I ask you right now, do you want all your children to be saved and go to heaven? What do you think most people in the room would? Oh, oh, amen. Yes, glory. Hallelujah. Jesus, I, amen to that, brother. I, I agree with that. Let's touch and agree. If people just go all religious on you. But the, major, the reality is most people want their children to be saved. Don't answer out loud, but I want you to think in your own life, have you prayed and asked God every day this week for every single person in your family that you want to be saved? Have you called their name before God and asked God to say, well, probably not. You want, you want to know why I can be pretty sure that most people didn't pray and ask God to save every member of their family seven out of the last seven days? Because I know the people in the room didn't pray seven out of the last seven days. Didn't talk to God about anything of note. I mean, now lay me down to sleep. Lord, please bless this food. God, take care of all the babies in the world. Uh, these generic prayers that people loft up to the ceiling, they don't get higher than the sheetrock. Um, but we need to be the type of people that are growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should know this already. Jesus asked this question before. This passage is actually taught in all three um, of the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke run a very, uh, uh, very, very similar timeline. And this story is told in all three of those gospels. John's kind of out there on his own a little bit. But this story is told in all three gospels. And God wants you to understand. God wants you to understand. Now, in Mark and Luke, it focuses more on Bartimaeus uh, or, or one blind man. Here we get a wider, broader picture that there were two of them. But the question Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do for you? I want to see how many people have been listening over the years. Um, how do we know? Okay, we know Jesus asked that question because it's in the Bible and we believe the Bible. Amen? But how do we know in April of 2023 that if Jesus came into this room right now that he would still be asking this question because he doesn't change. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's how, how if you want to know what God would do, you got to see what he did. And we're going to look at this passage a little bit this morning to see what he did. Now, I'm going to be honest. I, I've thought about this question for, for my life many times since I got saved. And honestly, my answer has changed over the years. Different times different places, different head spaces, different things going on. Because here's the reality. If nobody told you this, uh, life is not about everybody winning and everybody getting a trophy. Life is not about we don't keep score in our Little League baseball games anymore because we just want everyone to feel like a winner. Extra, extra, read all about it. Here's some news for you. Uh, somebody look at the door. Who they here for? <laughs> We're good. Um, here it is. Extra, extra, read all about it. News flash. Everybody doesn't win. Everybody, there, there's no trophy in life for showing up. This is why so many of our young people are have become what never existed in the history of this country before. They have become professional students. Professional students. They 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 go, they get their bachelor's degree. They might try to put their toe in the job market and realize they can't get a job. So here's, here's their, well, I'll go back to school and get another degree. Because school has made itself this safe space for everyone to feel like they're awesome. And here's the reality. God, God gave us this life, but he never promised every day would be super cool awesome. He said, as long as you're in this flesh, you're going to have trouble. And I've been saying this, one, because I like the way it sounds, and it reminds me uh, of things that I need to be reminded of, that on good days, bad days, happy days, and sad days, God is still in control. And you're going to have those type of days in your life. So this, my answer for 
this question that Jesus asked then, and if you asked then, he's still asking it now. So when Jesus was, would ask me, what do I want him to do for me, my, my answer has changed based on what I perceive the biggest need in my life at that time was. So I'm not saying that whatever your biggest thing you need from God right now will always be the same thing. I'll take you through a little progression. The first thing that I wanted to do when I had my first genuine, honest conversation with God is I wanted him to save me for real. I'd been in church as a little kid. I knew scriptures. I knew the whole Jesus on the cross thing. I, I, I knew all that. But I also knew there were a lot of fakes in the church because the pastor and his sons lived in our neighborhood. And one of his sons was a... Uh, uh, what, what was that boy's name? Um, Wally on Leave it to Beaver. No, Eddie. Eddie Haskell. He was Eddie Haskell. He was just a kiss up in front of all the adults, but behind the scenes he was a totally different person. His older son wasn't an Eddie Haskell at all. He wasn't kissing up in front of anybody. He had track marks in his arms, and he was a drug addict. And uh, when I got saved, and some of you know the story, I prayed specifically, and it was such a weird prayer it stuck with me. God, please save me. Not, I don't want salvation like Jimmy. Jimmy was the drug addict pastor's son. I said, I want real salvation like Peter, James, and John had in the Bible. And so that, 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 was, the big, that was the big thing that I wanted God to save me in a very real way. So I found a Bible verse that I could believe in, and I held on to it. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, some of you know, and we've talked about this a lot over the years, that some people end up calling on God, walking aisles, praying prayers, getting baptized multiple times. I've did it myself multiple times. But when people say, how many times do you have to do that? You only have to do it once if you get it right. If you ever get saved for real, you, you won't be stuck struggling, am I really saved? Now, you might find yourself saying, am I ever going to get fully right with God? But... I, I, I read that verse, and I, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. So I called on the Lord, and he saved me. All my troubles didn't go away like the preacher promised on TV. I, I, I didn't have, uh, I wasn't walking on a cloud of air every day for the last 40, almost two years since then. But God saved me in a very real way. So after I, after I got saved, I, I was desperate for God to save the people in my family. My mom wasn't even a Christian yet, and because I was the first person in my family to get saved, and I prayed. I, I was desperate to see my sister get saved, my brother get saved, my mom get saved. But when I first got saved, I asked my mom for something I'd never asked her for before. I had never picked up the phone and called my grandmother for anything. But I was just so desperate for everyone in my family to get saved. I asked my mom, I said, can you... This back when, you know, there was only one phone in the house. Everybody didn't have their own phone. There was the house in the kitchen, and, and the cord looked like what? <laughs> Bad, long, stretched out, just wrapped around itself, no matter how many times you tried to straighten. And so my mom called my grandmother, and I told her, I said, I said, Grandma, I just, just want to call and tell you I love you, and I'm praying for you, and I want to make sure that you're born again. And my grandmother told me that, that she was a Christian and that God had shown her when she was younger that one of her grandchildren was going to grow up to be a preacher and she thought that would be me. And I said, well, I don't know about all that. I'm just glad that you're saved. And I wanted everybody in my family to get saved. So I did what I did before. I found a Bible verse to believe and to hang on to. And, and here's what the scripture says. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. And the Philippian jailer, comes to them and he says this in verse 30 of Acts 16 then he brought me to them and asked sirs what must I do to be saved what a great question what what, what if people just started well, what if somebody came up to you today you're at the gas station restaurant you're walking up your driveway and somebody said can you tell me what I have to do to get saved that would just be awesome if the whole world just started coming that way but this this jailer came to them and asked the right question and in verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And, oh, man, I used to read that all the time and, 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 and 
tell God that I believe in him, I believe in his word, I believe in his promise, I believe everybody in my house is going to get saved. Now, I thought, because I had bad teaching when I first got saved, I thought that this verse had God locked in a box, that because God saved me, he had to save everybody in my house, because he said that if, if you believe in the Lord, you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And I thought, well, I just believe God for everybody. Because he saved me and he said he's going to save me and everybody. That's not what the verse means. The verse means this is how you get saved. This is how everybody in your house can get saved. This is how everybody in the world can get saved. But I, I began to just believe God and say, God, I know you're going to save my family. And I just found a Bible verse that I could hold on to and that I could stay focused on. Then after God called me into full-time vocational ministry, not that he called me into ministry because God called everybody into ministry. Everybody's not called into vocational ministry, uh, but everybody's called into ministry because ministry is best defined as meeting needs. And we've all been called to meet needs of hurting people. And it can be as simple as holding a door open for somebody. It could be as simple as bending down, picking up a piece of trash in a, in a, in a Winn-Dixie parking lot. Why would I pick up trash in a Winn-Dixie? Why not? Be helpful. Do something kind. For, smile at somebody. Say hello. But I, when God called, there's a difference between ministry because all Christians are ministers and vocational ministry, which is what people do um, full-time in a vocational sense. But when God called me into full-time vocational ministry, I was longing for God to teach me the truth so that I'd be able to teach other people the right way because I knew there was a lot of bad voices out there and I knew there was a lot of people that weren't teaching the word of God the, the right way. So guess what I did? I found a Bible verse. And, and this, this has been my pattern. So I, I, I found a Bible verse and in Isaiah 50 verse 4, the Bible says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. Now, a lot of people would read that verse and, and, and say, that, Pastor, that word's not learned, it's learned. It actually is learned. I learned math from a math teacher who was learned. You can look it up. Go, go, get, go get a dictionary, you'll find out. But anyway, God, it's, it's like blessed and blessed, but we'll get, we'll get into that a different day. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learning. And so I began to read this verse. I was drawn to this verse. I studied this verse. I read commentaries on this verse. And I found out what this verse is saying. Before you can have the tongue of the learned, you have to have the ear of the learned. Before you can speak good things, about God, you got to learn good things about God. See, a lot of people want to be teachers, and they don't know anything. The Bible says, talking about a group of people who've been saved for a long time, he said, by this point, you should be teaching, but you yourself have need that somebody teach you the most basic, simple things about God. And that's the sad reality about the majority of pastors in pulpits across America. And you can tell them I said it if you know any of them. The average pastor hasn't led anybody to Christ in, in, a, in a decade. The average pastor couldn't quote 100 verses of Scripture to save his life. And the average pastor hasn't prayed to God for an hour ever. You say, well, that, that's pretty big statements. How, how do you know that for sure? Because every year for decades, they put out this anonymous survey to pastors, and they say, how much time do you spend personally a day in prayer? And they break it down, one to two minutes, two to three minutes, and they break it all the way down to an hour or more, minute by minute. And the number one answer given every year has been the same for 40 years, two to three minutes. And I told you what I think about that. If a pastor who, who gets a paycheck, whose job is to study and to pray. See, my job is not to cut the grass. Now, I used to cut the grass. I was the only one cutting the grass until uh, Deacon Scott Mills moved uh, back to Florida from Iowa and saw me showing up every Sunday morning bright red like a tomato because I'd been out there on a, on a lawnmower for three and a half hours cutting the church grass. And he said, Pastor, you don't have to. You, you, need, you need to be, you know, getting ready for Sunday. And he started doing that. I used to clean the bathrooms 
Uh, one, one, one of my, my fondest times in ministry, side by side with my mom, we were on our hands and knees in the, in the men's bathroom on 218. I don't know if, even know if you remember this. We were trying to scrub uh, urine stains out from under the men's urinals in the bathroom. And I don't clean the bathrooms at the church anymore. And, 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 and sometimes people might think, well, I don't see him on work day. He ain't up here stocking boxes of food. I, I, I ain't never seen him with a, with a toilet brush in his hand. As God grew the church and God sent people to do other things, it freed me up to do what Acts says I'm supposed to do, which is study and pray. Give myself to study and pray so when I stand up here, I can speak a word in season because I have exposed my ear to God before I tried to expose my tongue to people. <laughs> I have given up on TV preachers decades ago. Radio preachers, I, I, I've given up on them because every time I find myself in front of a TV and I sit down and, and just think, well, let me just try. Unbiased. Let me just open-minded. Let me just, you know, go to the Word Network and see what they're saying. Let me just click on, uh, you know, Christian television and, and see what they're saying. I normally can't make it 60 seconds. Uh, it, 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 it would be like going to a restaurant and ordering um, a steak, and they bring out a plate full of sewage. You can sit there and try to eat it if you want to, or you can just get up and say, hey, this ain't my restaurant. I can't come back here. And it, there's so much lies being told consistently from pulpits and on the airwaves in the radio and television. And a big reason for it is everybody doesn't have the ear. Uh, people haven't exposed their ear for God to teach them. And listen, you can't give me what you don't possess. You, there's, I don't know anybody in this room right now that could give me $3 billion. I should be honest. I don't know anybody in this room right now that could give me $30,000. Why? why um, let, let me just ask. Uh, Sonia, right now today, could you give me $3 billion? Why not? That's exactly You can only give away what you possess. If, if you weren't raised right it's going to be hard for you to raise your children right unless you relearn learn new things about how to do it you have to learn before you can teach so i got up i started getting up every morning and bending my ear to god and he gave me the ear of the learn before he gave me the tongue of the learn then once i started preaching i was longing for god to anoint me gift me to where when I taught, people would learn. Because I sat in so many church services, uh, and I went to Bible college. I went to seminary. I've been involved in education my entire adult life. And there's a class called homiletics. And it's the art of speaking. And they teach you how to speak with intonation, how to raise the pitch and lower the pitch, how to fall off at the end of every sentence. And I thought, I'm not going to fake my way. And you can listen to preachers. You can listen on the radio for 10 hours, and every one of those guys sound the same. They, they, and, and they all go into this fake voice. And, and it doesn't matter. It, it's prevalent in the white church, in the black church. Um, in the white church, they all sound uh, like, you know, every preacher I've ever heard since, since I got saved. Turn with me today to St. John's Gospel as we consider the miracles of Christ. Jesus is a good God, and he loves you so. Or in, 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 the, in the black church, ain't the Lord all right? <laughs> I saw the Lord. He heard my cry. Sent his son Jesus to live and die. And I thought, Okay, well, this is just people up there mimicking stuff. I don't want to get up there. I had a professor, my homiletics professor told me at Luther Rice Bible College, he said, Becker, if you don't learn to get that twang out of your mouth, nobody's ever going to learn anything from you because they're going to be so stuck on thinking, where did this hillbilly come from? And I get that question everywhere I go. My kids can tell you. Everywhere I go, people ask me, where are you from? And I know that's not a compliment, 
I know they're not concerned about my geographic, you know, upbringing. They're, they're wondering, how in the world did you develop that accent? And I mess them up. Because I, uh, here, here, here's a little newsflash. People that aren't from Florida, a lot of, especially if they don't live in the southeast, they think Florida is Miami Vice. They think palm trees, high-rise, beachfront. They, they, they think, you know, fast boats and drug dealers. Uh, they, they, they think, you know, South Beach. They, they think all that. And when I tell people, oh, no, you can't be from Florida. You sound more like you're from Kentucky or Georgia or North Carolina. I had a man one time, I've told my kids this, that how people ask, have been asking me this my whole life. We were staying at a cabin in Boone, North Carolina. Now, newsflash for you. If you've never been to Boone, North Carolina, my mom's been there. You had a timeshare there, didn't you? We, we, we were up in Boone, North Carolina, and we were out on the lake, and there's this man standing on the dock, and I struck up a conversation with him. He said, chewing the back, dang, boy, you sure is country. Where are you from anyhow? I thought, hey, look, redneck, I got six degrees behind my name. Sweating me about my accent. And I told him Florida. He said, no, nah, you can't be from Florida. And, and, and what they don't realize, and people ask me, because I moved around a lot as a kid, and people ask me, you know, where did you get your accent from? Florida, the west side of Jacksonville. The west side of Jacksonville is not beaches and palm trees. It's chickens, goats, and cows. It, it, it's trailer parks. It, 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 they know high-rise buildings on the west side of Jacksonville. But I, I, I began to ask God to, when, when I teach, I didn't want to teach with a fake voice. I didn't want to. Some preachers preach so big time. There, there's a guy, one, the most impressive preacher I've ever seen personally in my life for me is an African-American bishop named Bishop Harold Ray. Sharpest dude, best looking dude, best dressed dude. Had on a suit that he said he paid $15,000 for and it looked like it was worth every penny. He had on over $100,000 worth of jewelry. Um, now he was a lawyer before he got called into ministry and he won multiple billion dollar lawsuits class action lawsuits uh one in particular against big tobacco set him up with all this money so it wasn't like he was wasting church money uh, on all that clothing and cars and opulence but because of his background his legal background and just who he was his personality everyone that ever listened to this guy even if they had never heard anybody say it would either say man when bishop ray's preaching you need a dictionary or a thesaurus he would say words that people would think, I don't even know if that word fits right there. Because I never heard that word before. He would, I don't know if he was making up words or just using legal words. Um, I remember when we first started this church and we had to put together bylaws. And so I looked at some different bylaws from churches that I respected. And we put a phrase in our bylaws that has to be there that our, our church is a nonprofit organization and focused on eleomensary purposes. And nobody in this room knows what eleomensary is. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right, and don't ask me to spell it. And some preachers get up there, and they use these. I don't know if it's just me. Anybody, don't raise your hand just to agree, but anybody ever been in a room where, where the man or woman of God was using such big words, you just knew it was all over your head, and you was just, just blanked out, I don't know what he's saying. But it sounds good. And he said he paid $40,000 for that watch, so you know he's got money. But I, I thought, I don't want to get up there and, and put on a fake voice and act like it. I just want God to anoint me in such a way that when I teach, people learn. I don't want to go over people's heads. I don't want to seem impressive. I don't want to stand up there in expensive suits. People ask me, Pastor, do you wear suits? I've got over 20 suits in my closet. I just don't like wearing them. So I don't wear them. I could, I could get all dressed up. I could tell all the elders and deacons immediately. Boy, look at Wilbert. Boy, you, you could be our poster child. Man, let me, let, me, let me tell you. The brother looks so good right now. I'm not going to ask him to do it because I don't want him to get dirt on the chair. But did you see the boots on this brother? That's a good-looking pair of boots, young man. I, 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 I could, if, I told, if I told everybody. All right, Nancy, no more sockless tennis shoes and blue jeans. 
Let's, let's all start dressing like Wilbur. Let's wear ties and, and suits. and get. It wouldn't be two months. We would have women coming to church with hats on, men coming to church with suits on, and it, and, and it would just be a show. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to dress like that. Come, I tell, I've said it from the beginning. Wear whatever you want to wear. Just don't come naked. Wear something. But I started praying and asking God, I, I, I don't want to learn this vocal manipulation. They teach uh, a thing called NLP in seminary. And it's verbal manipulation. And the greatest, and, and if you know me at all, you know, uh, I've been one of the greatest defenders of President Barack Obama that, that there is. And I'm not saying this as a slight. I'm saying this as an applause. Probably the greatest practitioner of neurolinguistic programming that I've ever heard is President Barack Obama. Everybody knows he's a great orator. He'll give a speech, and people will be like, best speech I've ever heard. Well, what was he talking about? I don't know, man, but it was incredible. <laughs> well, what, what, what are three things he did for the black community in eight years? I'm not sure, but he was presidential. <laughs> uh, did, did, he's from Chicago. Did what? Name, name, name three things he did to stop the murder rate. Well, I'm not sure, but have you heard him talk? Great, greatest orator president that we've ever had because he is so gifted in NLP. Give you a little example of NLP, then we'll move on and get into our text. NLP teaches you how to put the accent and the phraseology in absurd places so as to switch something in people's mind that they're not comfortable hearing. And it doesn't let them focus on what you're saying. They just know they like how it sounded in their mind. You say, well, like what? If I stood up here and said, America is in trouble. And as we look to the future, we need to do better. Do you see how that's odd? Do you see how that, that has no flow to it? Do you see how it's chopped up and broken up? And here, here's what it does. It confuses the brain because you're like, when did anyone ever learn to talk like that? Especially in America. But he's so good at it breaking up the normal stride of speaking that he draws people in. They teach that in seminary. Dr. King was a perfectionist at it. And you know I love Dr. King. Perfectionist at it. But I decided, no, nah, I'm not going to. Uh, a matter of fact, the only time I ever thought about doing it, I told Gail, I said, I'm a master NLP. Colts use it in brainwashing as well. I said, I'm a master NLP. Uh, and I'm going to use it for good. She said, no, you just be you. And I thought, that's what I'm going to do. And I didn't want to break up my speech, get a different speech in the pulpit, out of the pulpit, be some dressed up phony. I just asked God to help me teach in such a way that people would understand. So guess what I did? I found a Bible verse to believe in and to hold on to. And in and, and Nehemiah 8, Eight, the Bible says, so they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And I've been praying and asking God for, for 40 years, 39 years, to help me, God, when I teach, that I can make sense out of what's being said and help people to understand. And some people do. Some people don't. Some of that's on me. Some of that is on the listener. But I'm showing you a process of how to get what you want from God. See, there have been hard times in my life when I didn't know how my life was going to turn out. And you've had those times too. And in those low moments of being, being concerned, worried, scared, anxious, whatever you want to call it, consuming my mind with thoughts of what's going to happen, how is it going to turn out, I didn't know how it was going to turn out, so guess what I did? I found a Bible verse. 
And I held on to it. And I believed it. In Psalm 34, 4, the psalmist said, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Now, the Bible says that God doesn't play favorites. He's impartial. Uh, and if God did it for one, he can do it for you. And I thought, wow, the psalmist sought the Lord, and God heard. That's what I need to do. I need to seek God in prayer, and I need to talk to him and let him deliver me from all of my fears. And over the years, there have been different times I wanted God to do different things for me or for someone I loved. During those times, I did what I'd done in the past. What did I do? I found a Bible verse or a set of Bible verses to hold on to, and I sought God consistently through that process. So when I came to this verse, I thought, oh, that's, that's forever right there, Hebrews 11.6. And I probably quoted Hebrews 11.6 more in teaching than any other verse uh, in, in, in my entire teaching ministry. And Hebrews 11.6 says, but without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that God is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, we all believe that God is. We're here in church today. We believe that there's a God. We believe there's God in heaven. But we don't all believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Because there are people who stayed home from church today that would tell you they're seeking God for X, Y, and Z. There are people who haven't been in church in months who will tell you that they're seeking God for X, Y, and Z. But here's the question. Are they diligently seeking him? Is there an urgency? Is there a longing? Is there a consistency? No, there's not. And that's why most people don't walk in the reward of the Lord. But I, when I found that verse, I thought, that's it. That, I, I, I believe in him. I want to please him. And I am going to be diligent in my study for him. So here's the punchline, then I'll get back into the text. Whatever you need from the Lord, find some verses that speak to it and hold on to those. Listen in our text in Matthew 20, verse 29. The Bible says, as Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed behind. Well, there's times when we should do exactly what Jesus did. The Bible says that we'll do the things that Jesus did, and greater works shall we do than those things that Jesus did. It's not saying that we'll do better. Uh, our, our works will be greater than his. They'll be more in number because there's more of us. And we had more than 33 years to get that done. We've had thousands of years to get that done. But uh, so we, we, should, we should do like Jesus did. We should do the things that Jesus did, but not all of them. Well, I don't believe that, Pastor. I think we should do everything that Jesus did. Well, what date is your crucifixion scheduled for? I mean, if you know what date your appendix was taken out, you ought to know what date your crucifixion is coming. Oh, well, not, not like that. Oh, okay. Uh, there's certain things that only Jesus could do. And so I, I look at that and I say, okay, well, we want to do what Jesus did. So where's the large crowd following behind? If you read the Gospels, you'll find out the only time that there was a large crowd of people following Jesus is when they had the handout. Doing miracles. Healing people. They came to see the show. There was a great preacher uh, named John Wesley and songwriter, preacher, and they asked Wesley one time, uh, why are your meetings so effective? What, what, what do you do that causes such an outpouring of God when you preach? He said, I just made up in my mind that when I stand up in the pulpit, I'm going to let God light me on fire and people come to watch me burn. And they did. But it was a show. And we still got some of it. But we still got shows going on today on Sunday morning. Friday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, whenever night people meet. And some of you have been in churches where you had an incredibly gifted speaker. Could preach the paint off the walls. And you've left and people are saying, whoo, man, pastor was fired up today. He was preaching, wasn't he? Oh, what was he preaching? I don't know, but he was going. That's just a show. That, 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 that's, the crowd comes to see the show. But every time Jesus will start talking about something serious, 
they had all drift out and go somewhere else. So much so that when all the crowds left him in John chapter 6, he turned to his 12 and said, are you guys going to leave me too? Jesus made statements like, well, there ain't be anybody left with faith on the earth when I come back. See, it's not the crowds that we need to focus on. It is uh, truly following Jesus. But this is a historical account of what was going on. And in verse 30, the Bible says two blind men were sitting beside the road. And when they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they began shouting, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. I'm, I'm not going to take time to preach through all this in a very teachy fashion. But one thing I want you to see is these people had a physical problem. What was it? They were blind, but they weren't what? They weren't deaf. They were blind, but they weren't deaf. They, they, deaf. They, they, they heard that Jesus was coming that way. Now, here is the trick of the devil. To get you to see your weakness in one point and make you give up thinking you're weak. Well, they had a real weakness of eyesight. But they didn't let it stop them from hearing. I don't know what your weakness is this morning. I don't know what your struggle is this morning. I don't know what you want God to do for you this morning. But I do know this. You're still alive because you're here. And, and don't let one difficulty, one issue, ten issues, a hundred issues stop you from focusing on and concentrating on what it is that you need from the Lord. Because even if you don't have all the money to pay your rent, if you got a pillow to put your head on, you're going to be all right. And if you don't have a pillow to put your head on, you, you just go lay on some grass. And if you don't like laying on grass, get up under a bridge. I mean, there, there's always something that you can do that you can be thankful for. They couldn't see, but they could hear that he was coming. And they began to shout out to him and said, Lord. Now, we use the word Lord a lot in church world in 2023. They didn't use the word Lord that much in the first century because it's a sacred word and it's a word that they felt like could easily be blasphemed and when they said lord they were describing someone who they were willing to allow to be their boss their master to control the the person in control of them the the god their savior their messiah and they recognized who jesus was that he was the son of david and he was the lord and they asked to have mercy on us. See, I think most people in this room, many people in this room, have recognized who Jesus is. He's the Lord. He's the only Savior that there is. He said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. So we recognize that he's the Lord. We know that as prophecy said he would, that he came from uh, the lineage of David, knowing who God is, is good, but knowing who he is and asking him for what you need is better. So what do you need? They knew what they needed. Jesus knew what they needed. He just wanted them to say it. And I'm going to give you a, a, a news flash. God knows what you need. He just wants you to say it. Are you saying it? Are you say Have you asked God for the same thing every day for the last week, month? year, decade. Now, I read a verse of scripture one time when I was a young Christian, and I thought, well, that don't make sense to me. It says, ask and you shall receive. I'm like, well, I didn't ask for a lot of stuff I didn't receive. But I knew, even from my earliest time as a Christian, that when I saw a verse of scripture that it, it, it looked off, that the scripture wasn't off, my understanding was off. And as I got to studying it in newer versions and in the original languages, it literally says, keep on asking, and you shall receive. See, if it just said, ask, and you shall receive, well, if you asked once and you didn't receive, something was wrong. But if it says, keep on asking, that doesn't give an end date. So whatever you've asked God for in life, if you don't have it yet, you should still be asking for it. Unless God released you from that to something else. Now, verse 31 here comes church folks. Say church folk. Oh, they're following the Lord. They're in the crowd. They, they see these two men. They felt like these two men weren't worthy of their gathering. They, 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 they were uh, cliquish. 
And they said, you know, we're the haves, you're the have-nots. Hush your mouth. Be quiet. This, you know, this is the Lord. He's busy. He don't have time for you. But they only shouted louder. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. I've been telling you for years, if you want what other people have, you've got to do what they did to get it. And if you can grab this, you're going to have a lot. Don't let yourself, the voices in your head, or the voices outside of you stop you from calling on God for what you want. You keep calling. You keep asking, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking, and you will receive. But church people, they don't like anybody upsetting the flow. Well, we've never done it that way before. Well, buckle up. We're about to. Well, at my last church, you ain't at your last church. You left there for a reason. I'm about to leave this one. Well, we'll survive. Because here's my thing. I'm just as comfortable preaching to 15 people on Wednesday night as I am preaching to 5,000 at a stadium. Keep on asking. Church folk try to shut them up. Church folk try to put everything in a box and try to make everything what they think it ought to be. And so they said, y'all be quiet. It's not dignified. It's the Lord. They're like, we're blind over here, dude. We, he can help us, and we, we are not going to give up on the one who can help us. And so they just shouted louder. Hey, if you don't have what you got from God, start shouting louder. If you don't feel like God's hearing your prayer, start praying more. More often, keep asking. But in verse 32, the Bible says, When Jesus heard them, he stopped and called. What do you want me to do for you? Now, this is one of the most incredible verses in all of the Bible. When Jesus heard them, he knew what they were going to say 500 billion years ago. He'd already heard it. Remember what he told Philip? And Philip's like, like when you were under that tree. Philip's like, how'd you know I was under that tree? I saw you. Well, he wasn't there, but he, he knew everything. And he, said, he knew what they were going to say, but because they were calling on him, he stopped what he was doing, and he called on them. Now, this is a big switch because most of us have called on God for something, yeah? Most of us have asked God for something. But when's the last time you stopped God in his tracks and he called on you? Well, I'm not sure, Reverend. Well, you need to shout louder. You need to be more diligent. You need to be more consistent. You need to get some Bible in you that you can hold on to because they refused to give up on what they needed. Now, this, this is where uh, being, being uh, determined helps you in your personality. This, the passive people, well, maybe it will, maybe it won't. You know, it's going to be a good day either way. Then you got that other people. No, it's not. I'm going to keep hitting this nail till it drives all the way in. The determination that it takes to truly be uh, an active disciple of God isn't easy to come by. For people who are very passive, for people who are very quiet, pe people who just sit back and let life happen to them. But I want to remind you of something today. God never told human beings to sit back and let life happen to them. He said, go out and take dominion over the whole earth and subdue it. God didn't call us to get bounced around by life. God called us to be movers and shakers for his kingdom and to advance his kingdom in the earth. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you, how would you answer that? In verse 33, they gave the right answer because it was honest and it was what they needed and it was what they were yelling about. They said, Lord, we want to see. Now, at this point, he could have said, well, don't have any sight for you, but here's a ham sandwich. <laughs> now, if, 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 if you know who Jesus was and what, what, what his ethnicity was, you, you know that's funny because Jesus didn't mess with ham sandwiches. He knew what they wanted, but when they said it, he knew it was honest. He knew it was what they were really seeking him for. They had already come to him, addressed him in the right way, and they refused to give up. And if you'll come to God, address him in the right way, refuse to give up, he'll listen. You can stop him and get him to call back 
to you. He said, what do you want? They said, we want to see. And in verse 34, the Bible says, Jesus felt compassion for them and touched their eyes. Instantly, they could see. Then they followed him. Too much in this verse to unpack, but I want quickly to show you some truth. Jesus felt what? Compassion. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't have favorites. He's impartial. If Jesus felt compassion for them, is it reasonable to believe that the Jesus who's the same yesterday, today, and forever still feels compassion to those in need? People without compassion aren't really following God at a high level. Because one of the things you see consistently through Scripture is the compassionate nature of our God. Jesus felt compassion for them and touched their eyes. Now, he could have bought them some shoes, and they'd, they'd had better shoes than they had if they had any. But that wasn't their big need, and that wasn't what they were asking for. They knew exactly if they had, had an opportunity what they were going to ask him for, and they touched his heart. I want you to know the Bible says that we have a high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The Bible says that when you cry to God in prayer, when tears come down your eyes in prayer to God, that he bottles those tears up and stores them up in heaven. He is a compassionate God, and he gave them what they were looking for. Now, here, here's what the devil wants you to think. Pay attention to this, and I'm going to be done. The devil wants you to think that God is disappointed in you, that God doesn't care about you, or even worse, that God's mad at you. So much gloom and doom preachers out there. You know, every, everything, the sky is falling, everything's going bad. Listen, if God was some angry old man sitting on a stone throne with a scepter in his hand just waiting to shoot lightning bolts down on the earth and kill everybody, we'd all be dead. We've all, we've all had more than the three strikes in your out rule. We, we've, and, and that's why a preacher saying, I've told you many times, that he's not just the God of the second chance, he's the God of what? Another chance. And if he did it for them, he'll do it for you. The devil wants you to think that God is upset with you. He's mad at you. Listen, I want you to know this. God loves you. And I've had people tell me they don't believe that God loves them. They think he loves other people maybe or whatever the situation. But they think that God doesn't love them. We used to sing a song, Kids Church. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. You ought to start rehearsing in your mind. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. He knows your name. He bore your sin on the cross. The Bible says he took our sin and placed it on his own body. And he loves you. How how do we know that he loves us? Because he proved it. In Romans 5, 8, the Bible says God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He proved his love. Where is it? I didn't put Romans 5, 8 in the notes. You you didn't elbow her, did you, Rick? Okay. (laughs) God demonstrates his own love toward us. God already put. If you are sitting around having a pity party, if you're sitting back thinking, well, you know, my life's a mess. And nobody loves, I told y'all, uh, you can ask her, she's sitting right there in the middle of the church. First song my mom ever taught me and Dean. Nobody loves me, everybody hates me, guess I'll eat some worms. First bite the head off, then suck the guts out, see how they wiggle and squirm. Y'all wonder why I am how I am. But, and then, as a kid growing up, I was forced, I don't even know how, many, how often it came on. It felt like every day, but I'm sure it wasn't. It might have been, I don't know. Hee-haw. Anybody remember that, that classic bowl of nothing? <laughs> every week on hee-haw. Maybe, I don't know, as a kid it seemed like that's all they ever, all they ever said. Well, one, I'm a picking and I'm a grin, and there was that. Then there was, hey, Grandpa, what's for supper? Fried chicken and country rice. Turnip greens, twice as nice. But he'd give his little speech. But, but the one thing it seemed like they were always saying is gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have what? Y'all got tortured too? 
That's incredible. You know why we know these things? Because the devil wants you to rehearse these things in your mind. God don't love me. That's for other people. God ain't going to heal me. That's for other people. God, God, God ain't going to get me out of this jam. It's my own fault, and I deserve to be in it. You've got to start believing what God has shown you. Now, I, I saw a meme one time, and I, I, I don't remember the exact wording of it, but, but the point of it was if someone shows you what they're really about, believe what you see, not what you hear. If someone proves to you that they're a liar, go ahead and accept that. If someone proves to you that they're not trustworthy, then, then you should just understand that. Well, here's, here's the thing. Hasn't God proven if by no other means, by sending his one and only begotten son to the cross to suffer and bleed and die for us, hasn't God proven to the whole world that he loves us? Well, you better get off your pity party. You better never think nobody loves you because God already proved it and we need to believe it. God, and, and that's why I say, and I mean it with all my heart, guys. I mean it with everything. If God never does another good thing for me, he did more at the cross than I deserve. If God never blesses me one more time in my life, he's already blessed me more than I deserve. The devil wants us to think that God is mad at us. God is angry with us. And the Bible says God already showed his love toward us. In, the, in Nehemiah 9, the Bible says that God is a loving father. Listen, listen to some of the things it says about God. He's slow to anger, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, abundant in kindness. Now, that's in Nehemiah 9. I've heard people tell me for, for years, oh, I'm so glad we're in the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament was, was angry uh, and, and, and full of wrath. The God of the New Testament is kind and forgiving. This is the Old Testament God. The Old Testament God and the New Testament God are the same God. He's always been slow to anger, ready to pardon, quick to forgive, uh, abundant in kindness. And so here, here's what I'm going to tell you, and I'm done. Whatever you need God to do for you, I want to give you a verse this morning you can hold on to. See, I sought out those Bible verses. I'm going to give you one. You decide if you want to believe it or not. You decide if you want to hold on to it or not. You decide if you want to let this push your heart to the Lord. Philippians 4, 6. Familiar verse for our church. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. It's not only incumbent on us, it's required of us that we let our requests be made known. Does God know what you want? Well, God knows everything. Well, are you telling him what you want? Well, I told him once six years ago and he, he you know he knows he wants you to keep on asking let your what do you want now when those two blind men outside of jericho were asked what do you want they had a ready answer yeah they wanted to see that because that's what they thought their biggest need at the time was and they knew they couldn't fix it themselves listen Thank God for every self-help group out there. Thank God for books on personal growth and development. But here's the thing. If we could fix ourselves, we already would have. If the alcoholic could stop drinking on their own, they wouldn't be drinking anymore. If the drug addict could stop drugging on their own, they wouldn't be drugging anymore. If the hoe could stop hoeing on her own, she'd have to get a job. I mean, but... <laughs> We need God's help. So my question to you today, and I want you to think about this. This is not just church we're having right now. This, this, this is real talk. What do you want God to do for you? I, I've, I've shared with you many times the different realms of life that we experience. We live in a spiritual realm. We live in a physical realm. We live in an emotional realm. We live in a relational realm. And we live in a financial realm. And almost all your needs will fit into one of those five categories because every one of us have needs today. We need God to do something for us. For some, it's spiritual. For some, it's financial. For some, it's emotional or relational. Whatever it is that you need God to do for you, are you willing to let your request, not everybody else's prayers, 
that they asked you to pray. Because you might be one of those. You pray for everybody but yourself. God said, let your request be made known unto God. Now, you ought to pray for other people. The, Bi the Bible says that um, when, when we confess our faults and we pray for other people, we're the ones who get healed. So that, that's fine. You need to pray for other people. But you also need to let your requests be made known unto God. Now, when my wife was diagnosed with stage 4 metastatic colon cancer, that by the time of diagnosis had started in her colon and already metastasized to her liver, her lungs, and her brain, ended up with it in her hip as well. Um, my, big, my big request is, God, please heal my wife. There, 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 was, there was no doubt. No, the people, didn't, people weren't even curious. They, they, they didn't even need a roadmap. map. Somebody would ask somebody that knew me, what, what do you think Pastor Scott would say if God said, uh, what do you want me to do for you? Well, what I want you to do for me is heal my wife. And for months after she died, people would say, well, why do you think God didn't answer our prayer and heal your wife? Most, most devastating event in my life. But I came to this realization. He did. I asked him to heal her, and he did. Because right now, if you believe the scripture at all, she's present with the Lord. And she's completely healed because there's no suffering, there's no pain, and there's no hurt in heaven. People that know me well, if you ask people to know me well, what do, what do you think pastors? Big request. He's asking us, what, what do we want the Lord to do? What, what's, it, what's his big thing? Uh, for years, I've told you. I've, I've outed myself transparently and told you many times. My, my big thing is I want both of my children to be saved for real and have a close personal walk with God. Because, I mean, Rick could tell you, growing up in a pastor's home is not easy. And lots of pastor's kids give up on God. Cause, and listen, they don't give up on God because mom and dad were bad pastors or raised them wrong. They give up on God because they got tired of watching church folk stab mom and daddy in the back. You wonder why PKs have such a bad reputation? Because they've been around church folk too long. So I prayed so, all the time. I, I, I got other things, but that, 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 that's my big heart cry to God. What is yours? I don't know what yours is. Some of you need a better marriage. Some of you need better finances. Some of you need better health. Some of you need to get closer to God. I don't know what it is that you need. But if you call yourself a Christian, are you willing to do what God said and let your request, not my request. I thank God if you pray for my kids. I really do. But what's the big thing you're praying for you about? What, what's your big request right now? And, and maybe it's for someone in your family or somebody you care about. I don't know what it is, but we're going to take just a couple of minutes. And I'm not, I, if I called everybody to the front and want to have a real request to God, people would come up and we'd pray and it'd be emotional. But I don't want to go through an emotional exercise today. But I want to give you an opportunity to obey God. I want to give you an opportunity in a corporate setting where the Lord is present and he promised to be with us when we gather in his name. I want to give you an opportunity, not just to hear truth, not just to listen to the Bible, but to step in and walk in the word and do exactly what God called us to do. So right now, as Victor plays, I just want you to bow your head, close your eyes, and I want you to ask God for that thing. I want you to ask God for that thing that burdens you. I want you to ask God for your heart. Your heart's crying. I, I said, what would you ask him for if he was here? He is here. Ask him right now. See, right now there's mamas praying for children, grandchildren. There's men praying for their marriage, their finances. What are you praying for? just thought of something that's been the longest heart's cry I've had for 40 almost 42 years I heard a song when I was a younger Christian and it said may all who come behind us find us faithful 
See, anybody can start a thing. I want to finish a thing. Everybody in this room is only one bad decision away from destroying your reputation. You're only one bad decision away from shame and embarrassment for you and the Lord's church. You ought to want to finish this race. Faithful. Faithful to the end. Ask God, what is it? What do you want God to do for you? Say it to him right now. And keep saying it till it happens. Don't let your mind shut you up. Keep saying it. Don't let other people slow you down. Keep saying it. Don't get lazy and give up. Because we're commanded to let our request. It's, a mir- it's amazing that God cares about our requests. And stop believing in your mind that God doesn't care about you. Because the Bible says plainly, He already showed His love to us by sending His Son to die for us. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us, God. I pray in Jesus' name that you would create in us a greater urgency to let our requests be made known unto you. I pray in Jesus' name, God, that you would give us an urgency to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to value you more than ourselves, and to put your agenda in front of ours. God, I thank you for each person who's come here, God, and I pray for every lost person in this room that you would show them your love, and I pray for every saved person in this room that you would fill us with your spirit, God, and help us to be and do all that you called us to be and do. God, I ask you, let Jake and Seth be saved for real let them have a close personal relationship with you help us God to trust you with our heart our cry our tears, our prayers help us God to trust you that you're good and you're kind you're faithful, you're loving you're slow to anger quick to forgive, ready to pardon you're a good, good God You're a great God. There's nobody like you. And we need you. We recognize our need for you today, God. We ask you these things from our heart in Jesus' name. And all God's people say amen. Come on, put your hands together for the God who listens. Thank you for listening to the ALCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at alcfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to alcfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.